Amen. Good morning, church. Our brother Jabari's working double duty here. Took us to the feet of the cross, and then he took us to the rock. But you know what? That's what worship is all about. When it comes to God, you do what you're asked, right? Amen. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. Um, I do have a pretty convicting message this morning. So uh, I hope you're ready to worship and uh, take some great notes. Let's go to God with the word of prayer. Our awesome Father in heaven, God, I appreciate that we can come to you as we are. I appreciate that you are the type of Father, the type of God that will meet us where we're at. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to put it all together before we come to you. We can come to you with our baggage. We can come to you with our ugliness. We can come to you with our attitude so that you can help us work it out. We can come to you with our broken hearts. We can come to you with our disappointments. We can come to you with our flaws. We can even come to you with our pride and arrogance, hoping that you will humble us and teach us how to stand before you. Father, I pray that as we focus on worship, that we really take to heart your words and your direction. Because only you can teach us how to truthfully worship you in spirit and in truth. You are a holy God. You are a great God. You are sovereign and you're mightier than all gods. And we ask that you will teach us how to worship you truthfully, honestly, And I pray, God, that for those of us who are unsure of our decision to make you Lord of our lives, that you will convince us in a way that we cannot hide from it. We cannot deny that it's your powerful hand at work. We love you and we thank you for this time in your word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, we celebrated and honored our good, good father in heaven. And we gave all the other fathers watches. But they're good fathers, right? I I like to think I'm a good dad. I'm not always good, but I strive to be. Uh, But today, uh, we're going to bring our series on worship to a close. And I do want to give us some practical ways uh, on worshiping God And I really pondered a lot about this. I prayed a lot about this. And I thought I can give us a lot of how-tos and and a lot of practical things and steps and all that. But I thought none of that's going to matter if we don't have the right attitude in the first place. So before we can even begin with the practicals, we need to make sure we have the right attitude as we approach the great God that we worship. And that's what I want to focus on today. I want, I want to focus on uh, not just singing and taking communion and all the other elements of worship. I want to talk about the attitude of worship. In John chapter 4, verse 23, it says, But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. That is what God is looking for. It's not what the Harlem region of the New York City Church of Christ is looking for. 
The Bible says these are the type of worshipers God is looking for. So in my mind, it makes sense for us to spend time on worship. I've even contemplated extending this series a little bit because I want to really make sure that we leave with a serious conviction and not just uh, deciding, but actually putting it into practice. So we'll pray about that. You might hear another sermon on worship next week. I don't know. We'll see where the Spirit leads. Because if that's the kind of worshipers that God is looking for, then you and I should do whatever we can to become those type of worshipers. And a lot of that starts with our attitude, how we approach God. You know, we talked about the word worship and uh, its literal meanings to kiss the hand, to bow at the feet of. It's to give whoever you're bowing to, whoever's hand you're kissing, the utmost respect You're lifting them to a place of worship. You're elevating their existence, their presence in your life. And when we come before God, this is the type of worshipers God is looking for. Because if we're not worshiping God this way, we're worshiping something else this way. And so for God, he doesn't need your praise. He doesn't need your amens. What God needs is for us to understand how much we need him. And in order for us to see that, we have to worship God. We have to see God for who he is, because otherwise something will take his place in your life. So worshiping God is for our benefit. It's for us. It's for our spiritual growth. It's for our spiritual survival. I mean, think of how many people ruined their lives because they chose to worship money. Think of how many people have ruined their marriages because they chose to worship a relationship that was not theirs. Think of how many families are torn apart because the parents worship sports over God, glorifying the sports so that their children can excel but neglecting their spiritual life. And now their kids don't even consider God a reality but a legend because the parents failed to set the example. So worship is for us. It's for us. To worship God in truth, Jesus is saying worship God not only with your presence, and we are so grateful that you're here. We always love it when you come and worship with us, but God really wants your heart. If there was a way for us to send our hearts and leave our bodies at home, some of us would probably do it, right? Because we're getting older. And I don't know about you, I'm kind of working on, you know, I hadn't had my coffee this morning, so I'm really on the Spirit's power. (laughs) My wife and I had a great time in Brooklyn last night. We we did their uh, marriage devotional, and I thought, wow, we got to bring some of this stuff back to Harlem. But I tell you, we got home and we crashed. And I thought, I got to get up and preach in the morning. And what got me up, I was really honestly looking forward to worshiping God. Because I don't know about you, but when you, when you reflect on what God has done in your life, you look forward to giving him, the, you look forward to the opportunity to thank him. Whether it's in, in song or whether it was just other brothers and sisters exchanging blessing stories. You know, what did God do for you this week? Well, you know what he did for me? A brother was just telling me backstage. 
of a miracle that God has performed in an answered prayer. And I'm like, praise God. But that's the type of worship we need. It's to elevate God. It's to remind each other of how good God is. You know, we talked about investing in God's kingdom on earth. And how we do that through our weekly contribution and our annual special contribution. And I'm happy to announce that as of Friday, the Harlem region gave over $84,000 to special contribution. The whole New York City church as a whole gave over $1.2 million. That's more than we've done last year. And here's the thing, for people who wonder, well, where's all that money going? Over 700000 of that money is going to foreign missions. It's to help spread the gospel through the rest of the world, specifically to Africa, Haiti, and Caribbean uh, countries, where we have churches who are trying to make disciples, who are trying to get God's, who's trying to worship God. That money goes to help pay for places so that our disciples can come together on Sunday like we do and worship God together. Some of those churches depend solely, entirely on our sacrifice. And I tell you, that's a very humbling position to be in. Your whole life is dependent on what people give. Today, I've asked a very wise and experienced man to help me with this message. This guy's been around. He's, no, he's seen it all. Seen it all, done it all. And I asked him, can you help me teach the church on worship? And he said, Brother James, you know what? Amen. I'll do that. Because I've seen some things. I've heard some things. I've been, I've been through some things. And so I'm going to help you prepare God's people with the proper attitude for worship. And that man is Solomon. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon talks about how to approach God in worship. He gets beneath the surface. This is a man who has seen it all, done it all, had it all. There's nothing that Solomon couldn't do or didn't do. He was wealthy beyond imagination. He had more women than he could count. People used to travel from across the world to come hear his wisdom. Queen of Sheba used to make the trek just to come hear his words. This was an influential man. This was a very powerful man. But yet he did not always make the right choices. And we get to benefit from those life lessons that Solomon learned after the fact. And so I asked him to teach us about worship. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, this is what he said. He said, Brother James, watch your step when you go to the house of God. It is better to go there and listen than to bring the sacrifices fools bring. Fools are unaware that they are doing something evil. Don't be in a hurry to talk. Don't be eager to speak in the presence of God. Since God is in heaven and you are on earth, limit the number of your words. Daydreaming comes when there are too many, too many worries. Careless speaking comes when there are too many words. When you make a promise to God, don't be slow to keep it because God doesn't like fools. Keep your promise. 
It's better not to make a promise than to make one and not keep it. Don't let your mouth talk you into committing a sin. Don't say in the presence of a temple messenger, my promise was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy what you have accomplished? In spite of many daydreams, pointless actions, and empty words, you should still fear God. Now, I got to be honest, I thought Solomon was going to tell me something different. But this is, his, this is how he approached worshiping God. He said, make sure you're careful and you have the right attitude. He started off by saying, watch your step. He said, watch your step when you go to the house of God. He's basically saying here that attitude is everything when it comes to worshiping God. You know, the NIV and the New, England, uh, New American Standard Version says, guard your steps. One version says, walk carefully into the house of God. And I thought about that. I thought, how often do I stop to give thought about my attitude before I walk through the doors of the church to come and worship? Do I bring any kind of attitude in the church? Do I sit with an attitude during church, singing with an attitude? Have you ever seen an angry singer? We see it all from up here. Some of y'all look angry. I mean, you look straight ticked off like, (sighs) hand clap, got all that bass in it, like, And you're just mouthing these words. Angry. Bound to the rock. Bound to the rock. (laughs) I'm like, what in the world is going on? Solomon said, be careful how you approach God. You're not going to some show. You're not going to the movies. You're not coming here to be entertained. You are coming here before God. And we need to be careful how we approach him. Talk to your kids about what's proper behavior before you come to church. You're on the bus. You're at the bus stop. You're on the train, you're in the car. Turn the music off. All right, guys, let's talk about attitude before we go into church. First of all, y'all ain't going to make me look bad. That's, that's number one. Second, <laughs> right? That's what we say. Instead of, you ain't going to make God, we say, you ain't going to make me look bad. All right? You ain't going to have James using me as some example in his sermon. It's not happening this week. All right? Not this week. It was last week. I let that slide, but not this week. We don't want to look good. We don't want our kids making us look bad. So we talk about attitude. And you think, some of us think, well, he, his attitude's not changed. I'll leave him home. That is sending the wrong message. Because if you let your kids keep that bad attitude and don't expect it to change, it will never change. And every Sunday, they'll say, all I have to do is just pout, pout my lip, 
fold my arms, say I don't want to go, and I get to stay. Guess what? As of this household, we serve the Lord. If we're going to church, you're coming to church. We're going to fight on that one. We can go to the table with everything else, but God is important in our households. Let's talk about appropriate behavior. Look, we love our kids. For the most part, our kids are very obedient, and I appreciate that. They are, they are awesome kids. Sometimes I just sit and stare at them and just thank God that I, he's blessed my life with such kids. But sometimes we have to talk about attitude. That's not abnormal. Okay? We're the parents. They need us to help teach them what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Sometimes we need to talk to our friends coming to church about proper attitude. All right, here's the thing. In our church, we don't text during messages. We don't check ESPN during the service, okay? So just put your phone. We don't play Candy Crush during the sermon. So I just want to prepare you uh, when we come You know, we're going to sing. They're going to ask you to stand. They're going to ask you to sit. They're going to ask you to stand again. They're going to ask you to clap. Somebody might even come up there and hug you. You know, I just want to prepare you. Okay? We got to prepare our visitors, our friends and our family for what to expect when we come to worship. You got to deal with potential distractions. Silence your cell phone. That's not too much to ask. It's expected in them right before the movie starts. They spend five minutes. They put money into that whole presentation. Don't disrupt your fellow movie watchers. And if you do, you get kicked out. There's one movie theater, they tell you, if you disturb your, your, the fellow movie, you will be escorted out of the theater. And I thought, hmm. Let me, let me ponder on that one. In a live Broadway show, you go, if you have ever been to a Broadway show, they tell you no flash photography, turn your cell phones off. And you know what? People turn their cell phones off. And if someone's there, you see that little light going off, everybody's heads turn to that person. And the ushers make their way to that person. I'm sorry, but. You know what happens when you're late to a live show? You wait until intermission. And guess what? You paid to be there. Maybe we should start charging intermission. I'm just trying to figure out what's going to work. You go to the courthouse. You can't even bring your phone into the courthouse. You sign it in, they give you a token, you get it when you're done. You can be there all day without your cell phone. We let you bring your cell phone. Some of you have your Bibles on your cell phone. Turn your cell phone off. If you have a smartphone, you should know how to turn it down. (laughs) You should know how to mute it. If you have an iPhone, all you do is scroll down. And it says, do not disturb. Hit that little button. You got a Samsung. Guess what? You scroll down. Hit that little button. Matter of fact, here's what you can do. 
you can even go in and schedule a time to not be disturbed. So you can say on Sundays from 9 to 1, do not disturb. And guess what? Set it and forget it. You don't have to worry about it. But we have to be careful about how we approach God. These are careless mistakes. But when you're deliberate about your time in worshiping God, you don't make careless mistakes. You show God the respect he deserves. In the court, when the judge enters, the bailiff says, all rise. And guess what? All rise. For a man or a woman. When our part singers say, let's stand up and sing, what's your attitude? (sighs) I was just getting comfortable. Let's move on. Go there and listen. We should be concerned with listening to what God reveals to us through his word. For some of us, you need to hear this message. But are you really paying attention? Now, I don't know about you. My memory is not what it used to be. I forget some of y'all names. I don't forget your face, but I do forget some of your names. That just happens with age. There's a lot going on up there. Sometimes I confuse my kids. So-and-so. My wife be like, are you serious? Like, we be talking, and I'll be like, babe, um, you know the sister that I'm talking about? Oh, we were just talking to her today. Like, and she's like, <laughs> we're playing charades. And she's like, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh. She got the, the hair, and I'm losing it. So I have to write things down when I go to church. 24 years, I'm still taking notes because I need it. I intend to put into practice what I hear. Because when I come to church and someone's speaking, I believe that it's God speaking. That's the right attitude to have. I'm just a mouthpiece. The Spirit of God speaks through us. The Word of God. When you see it up there, when you see it on your Bible, that's God speaking to you. You know, I can't tell you how many times people come up to me after church and say, man, I, I, you were speaking to me. I, I don't know how you, that was my life. You were, you were telling, how would I know that? That is God. When I first came to this church, I was angry at the guy who brought me because I'm like, yo, how did he just go up and tell this guy all my business? I'm not studying with him. See, this is what I'm talking about, all that gossip that goes on in church. And then I went to him. I said, yo, did you tell this guy? He's like, I didn't say anything, man. Then I talked to the preacher, Dan Connor. I said, yo, did this guy tell you? He's like, we have not spoken. And that's when it hit me. That was God speaking to me. That was God. There's no way... This guy could have known. I've never met him before in my life. But yet he is preaching to me. 
That is God. You know, our attitude should be like Samuel. When he heard the Lord's voice, when he heard God speaking, he said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The Bereans in Acts 17, when they heard the, the apostles teaching the word, they eagerly took the word in. They, they read it. They took it and they put it into practice right away because they wanted to make sure that what they were being taught was right. How do you even know what I'm telling you is right? Unless you go back and read it for yourself. I put time and research into my messages. Do you put time and research into what you received? Somebody could be telling you something that you may think is good to hear, but it's not biblically accurate. When you come to church, God can be giving you the very encouraging thing you wanted. But we got to be listening. All week you've been praying for God to direct you. God, give me the answer to this. God, help me with this. And God is speaking to us. We got to listen. You may be like, God, help me change this. Help me, help me with this situation. And, 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 and it's exactly what you need to hear. But because we're so distracted and our mind is all over the place, we're not hearing God. And so we have to be very careful that we listen. You know, attitude... The proper attitude would say, do I really pay attention to the scriptures as if God is speaking to me? And do I, I plan to uh, apply them to my life? This life only works when you pl- apply the scriptures. It's not enough to just read the Bible. You have to actually do what it says. It's like getting a, 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 a table or a piece of furniture from Ikea. And you're looking at this thing and you know you got to put it together yourself. And they give you the instruction. You just sit there and you look at the instruction. And you don't do anything. That table's not going to put itself together. You got to do what it says. You got to follow the instructions. You got to read it. That's how the Bible works. Change happens when you do what it says. Not just reading. You can fill yourself up with information and knowledge. And that won't do a thing to your life. You got to put it into practice. The sacrifices fools bring. Again, not all worship to God is acceptable. You know, God talks about worship. He talks about what's true. He talks about spiritual worship. But then he also talks about worship that's not acceptable. Now, if it's Worship that God is to receive, he has all the authority to say what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And we see many examples of this in the scriptures. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 28, verse 9, it says, If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. In other words, if you come to worship and you ignore the message, and then you start praying and asking God for things, God is not going to hear your prayers. God is like, why should I listen to you when you refuse to listen to me? Now, that's not my translation, by the way. Detestable. What do you consider detestable? One translation says an abomination. What do you consider an abomination? In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? 
That's lip service. Oh, Jesus is my Lord. I love me some Jesus. I love God. I love going to church. But you don't do anything God says. It's just lip service. That's a full sacrifice according to the scriptures. The Bible teaches us that God desires obedience over sacrifice. Think before you speak. Think before you speak. Ecclesiastes 5, 2, think before you speak and do not make any rash promises to God. Some people think, you know what, I'm going to be on time every Sunday from now on. Because God deserves it and he absolutely does. But have you counted the cost on that vow? What that really means for your schedule, for your nights before, for your morning of, what does that really mean? God does not want us just saying vows out of feelings because we feel convicted. This is what I'm going to do. Or, Lord, if you help me out this situation, I will change my life. I will give you anything you want. And if somebody comes up and asks you to study the Bible for 30 minutes, you're like, ooh, that's a lot of time. 30 minutes to sit down and read the Bible? I don't know. I'm ready for that. But didn't you just tell the Lord that if he helped you, you'd give him anything? And now you can't give him 30 minutes? You know, the Bible shows us an example of someone who made a foolish vow to God. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the emotions of God. We, we get so full of God. We get so happy. We get so excited. We'll say anything without really thinking about what we just said. And we want God to move in our lives, and, and, and rightly so. We need to desire God to do things for us and with us and, and, and on our behalf. God wants us to count on him, but God also does not want us to make foolish vows before him because that communicates how you see God. It's like when someone makes a promise they don't intend to keep. And they're just saying it just to get you to do what they want. Oh, hey, you know, I, I promise you, I promise. If you do, I, I, I promise. You know who does that? Kids. Oh, daddy, I promise if you do this, I will, I will, I will keep my room clean for a week. Or I, I promise I'll get straight A's. On my, I, I promise I'll do this. Or if you do, I promise, and this is what I love. I will never ask you for another thing. How many of you had that promise made to you? And you sit there, you listen to that little angel, and you just say, he's just lying through your teeth. But you look so cute doing it, right? There is a father who made a vow before God that I think in this situation, when you look at the context of the situation, many of us probably would have made the same vow because we were so desperate to see God work in our life. In Judges chapter 11, Jephthah made a vow to God. He was going up against this powerful army, the Ammonites. And in Judges chapter 11, verse 30, it says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house, to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it 
as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sound of tambourines. She was only a child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you've made me miserable and wretched because I've made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you've given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends before, because I will never marry. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed. She was a virgin. I read this passage. I've read this story many times, and I thought, why would God let him go through with this vow? You know, I think in our human nature, that's where we go. Why would God let that happen? Why would God allow him to say such a thing? Isn't God all-knowing? Didn't God know that his daughter would be the first to come out the house to meet him? So why would God allow him to go through with that? We go right to God. But we're missing the point. God is righteous. God is holy. God keeps his words to us. And he expects us to keep our word to him. See, this is a lesson that Jephthah will never forget. Not that he lost his daughter, his one and only daughter. That's part of it. But the lesson he will never forget, you honor God. And you can see the struggle. But you can also see the conviction that was even passed down to his daughter who could have fought and said, no, Dad, why would you make such a stupid, uh, you know, where's Mommy? I, 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 you know, I, I hate when you do this. And she could have threw a big temper tantrum and fit like you just ruined my life. I'm never going to marry. Why would you do such a thing? Blah, blah, blah. But instead, she had a godly attitude toward God, even though it meant forfeiting her life. He wasn't a bad parent because he passed on that conviction. And I believe God honored because God saw that even though it was hard, it was still righteous. It was still righteous because he kept his vow. 
we got to give thought to what we say to God. You know, I think about a vow that many of us here has made. Jesus is Lord. That means Jesus is Lord over everything. Every dream, every decision, Jesus is Lord. We're honoring God with our life. That's what Jesus is Lord means. And God expects us to keep that vow. That's why he doesn't want us to make an emotional decision. That's why we don't do altar calls in that, in, 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 for the sake of salvation in our church. Because a lot of times you go up to the altar, you're feeling, the, you're feeling good. You're, 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 yes, I want to give everything to God. And then you walk out the door like, what did I just do? But because it was all emotions, by the end of the week, you've tossed that vow out the window. This is why we sit down with people. We take our time. We teach them what God expects of them. And then at the end of it all, we count the cost. Now, all that you've learned of what God expects, for the most part, this is all introductory. It's not even exhaustive. What's your decision? Think about it. And we even stop some people from making that decision because we know that it's an emotional decision and they hadn't really thought it through. And they're like, you know what, let's give it some more time. But I really want to do this. Yeah, but you haven't really counted the cost on this. That's wise. And you see, God will keep us to our vow. Now, I don't know if you realize that some of the songs we sing have vows in them. You realize that? You're like, uh, they do? I thought they was just songs. We sing a song called, All to Jesus, I Surrender. All to Him, I Freely Give. That's a vow. That's a vow. Now, I know for the sake of worship, we're like, well, I don't want to not sing. But here's the thing. If you're singing that vow to God, clap your hands. But you got to be mindful of the vow you're saying before the Lord. All to Jesus. All. All. What does that mean? Google it. Webster Dictionary. Whatever you got to do, but understand what all means. I surrender. I freely give. That's a vow to God. Keep the vows you make. You know, once you get to a point to where you've counted the cost and you've decided, yes, this is what I want to do, keep it. Keep it. You know, I made a vow to my wife almost 20 years ago that I, she would be the only woman in my life. She'd be the only woman that I, I give my heart to, the only woman I love. And I've, 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 I've tried every day for the past 20 years to keep that vow. And I intend to keep it for as long as there's breath in my heart, in my life. Is it easy? No. But I've kept my vow. When you stand before God, 
and you make a vow before God and his church that, yes, I do. That's not just something you say at a wedding. That is something that God is looking at and has very few exceptions for breaking that vow. It's not the ones that we came up with. It's the ones that God gave us. Because God considers our marriage vows worship. When you say Jesus is Lord, keep the vow. We're not saying it's easy, but God sees your heart. He sees your effort. He knows that you're trying to do the best you can. You know, when when we say that we're going to give something to God, give it. Give it. If you make a pledge to God, give it to God. Whether that's financially, you decided in your heart to give a certain amount to God, give it. There's some weeks it's easy to give, and there's some weeks it's challenging to give. But we give because we know that God will bless our sacrifice. God will honor when we keep our vows. In Proverbs 20, verse 25, it says, It's a trap for a person to say impulsively, This is a holy offering. And later, to have second thoughts about those vows. That's why we got to really give careful thought to what we give before we give it to God. We say you're going to give your time, give your time. You say you're going to show up to something, you're going to volunteer, you're going to do, be there. Now I know things come up, things happen, but it can't be a habit of ours to keep breaking our vows. People won't take you seriously. And before long, people won't even ask you for anything. Because they know, uh, he's just, she's just going to back out of it. Or they see you coming, like, oh boy. You're like, hey, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to do it. Amen, bro. <laughs> Look, God takes it seriously. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira, we looked at that, right? They had the money. They said they were going to give it. Like, oh, let's keep, you know. God struck them down dead. I'm like, I don't want to die over contribution. I'm like, good Lord. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's $20. $50. I mean, how much ever you're putting in the plate is not worth your life. But God takes it seriously. Struck them both down there because they didn't get to put their money in the plate. Or put in a different amount than what they vowed to God to give. God understands times are hard. But you know what? He also tells us in Matthew 6, don't worry about that. I got you. I'll take care of you. Just just seek first my righteousness. In other words, keep my vows. Keep my vows. And lastly, you should still fear God. You know, worship, worshiping God should never become boring. Because when you understand who you come to work, who you get to worship, it should never be boring. 
And when, when God, when your view of God becomes less and less exciting, the fear of God goes right out the window. And it makes everything else easier to, to break. It makes breaking your vows easier. It makes showing up with whatever kind of attitude you want easier. It even makes talking about other Christians easier. Because you don't fear God. You know, God gives us commands for our benefit, for, to help us. So when we break those, when we disobey those scriptures, that is indirectly showing less fear of God or no fear at all of God. You know, some people talk about people, and I'm like, man, do you have no fear of God at all? Like, you, you just, it just rolls off your tongue. Or we, we, we act a certain way, and, and we do it openly, and, and we're like, well, God's grace. We claim God's grace over God, over fearing God. And God is like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Some of the problems some of us may be going through right now could be the very consequence of not fearing God. You know, there was a group of people in, he- in uh, Haggai's time who neglected to worship God, who neglected to fear God. And they had been in captivity for 70 years. And God had rescued them, He freed them from captivity. But his, his house was no longer a priority for them. They could find a time to rebuild their temple, their homes, but they couldn't find a time to rebuild the house of the Lord. They wanted the best things for themselves, but they neglected God's business. And what was the result? God blew down their houses. God put holes in their wallets. And he refused to bless them. You're feeling some of that today. You might want to ask yourself, man, how, how's my worship been going? My, my wallet's been very holy lately. I can't seem to hold on to any money. Why do I feel like I'm under a curse? Why does it feel like everything's going wrong? Why does it feel like, like, like my home is in disarray? Maybe it's the consequence of not worshiping God. So what God did, he dealt with them, he disciplined them, and the message here simply is that it can all turn around. If you realize that this is where we're at, you don't have to stay there. That's the good news is that even though God disciplines us, God is also willing to come in and help us turn things around. In Haggai chapter 2, you can just turn there in your Bibles, Haggai 2, verse 18 and 19, you know, God himself moved the heart of his people, and he encouraged them to rebuild their house of worship. In Haggai 2, verse 18 and 19, says, From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, Give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any 
seed left in the barn until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. And simply the lesson here is when we put God first, the results and the turn of events in our lives become so dramatic that the blessings are so apparent that we can look back to the exact month, the exact day, the exact moment when God blesses us. And that's the whole point. There are times when we, we, we realize that, man, I have not been doing what I need to do, uh, be doing for God. And then God turns around and blesses us in such a way that we can go back and we can recall the exact month it happened, the exact day, what we were doing when we realized God blessed us. That's how fast God can turn things around when we decide to worship him with the right attitude. We only need to give careful thought to our ways. Watch your step. Consider how you come to worship God. You and your wife have an argument or just deal with it before you come into church. Because you're not going to be able to worship God with a bad attitude. Prepare your kids before you come to worship. Silence your phones. Show God the proper respect. Come to listen and obey. Hear his word. Plan to apply it to your life. Think before you speak. Don't make promises you don't intend to keep. And then lastly, keep the promises you make. Whatever you decide to give to God, just give it. The faster you do it, the sooner it's over, and the torment of letting it go is gone. It's just that easy. It's just that easy. God is worthy of our best. So we should give him nothing less. Let's worship God with the right attitude, in spirit and in truth, and to God be the glory.